Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris Chandra. I'm a pastor at Compass, and it's Halloween week, so I got my hoodie on. Uh, maybe you're with me today and you got your Halloween costume on. I really hope you do, but if not, either way, I'm so glad that you're with me today. Now, my daughter Cameron is in college, and she's studying social work, and most of her senior year is going to be dedicated to doing an internship with one of the local social services-affiliated agencies. And because she wants to intern at a place that's going to give her the best experience, She started asking around for advice on the places that are good and the places that maybe she should avoid. And on the whole, she really got some good advice, but someone gave her some, what I thought was really interesting feedback. They told her this, if you're interviewing at a place and they say, we're just like a big family here, that she should run away as fast as she possibly can, because that's probably a red flag that things are going to get weird there. Now, why? Why is that true? Well, because a good business has clear expectations, clear obligations and boundaries. You do your clearly defined job, you get paid for your job, and then you go home. But families aren't like businesses. Families are different. Boundaries aren't as defined and your level of obligation is different. Look, my job, they can't make me go to an off-the-clock Halloween party. But if someone in my family asks me to come to their Halloween party, it's different. The level of obligation is different. If my boss asks me to rake leaves as part of my job, I know that I'm going to get paid for it. And if I'm not getting paid for it, I don't have to do it. But if someone in my family asks me to help them rake leaves, I might get paid for it and I might not. But that doesn't change my obligation to help. See, when a business organization says that they are like a big family, what that probably means is that they have unclear expectations, unrealistic obligations, and some weird relationship dynamics. Because that's what families are like. Because families are messy. All that to say is that when Cameron asked for advice from people when she was looking for an internship, she was told there are good agencies to work for and there are bad agencies to work for. And even though all of those agencies are oriented around the cause of helping people in need, it doesn't mean that they are all good places to work. Now, we've been talking about a similar dynamic with religion over the last couple of months. Specifically, we've been talking about dynamic in the religion of Christianity. And what we've found is this, is that Some religion is just, meaning that it's rooted in justice and goodness and truth. And some religion is not so good. It's harsh, mean, brittle, easy to dismiss. And we've been asking ourselves this question. Is your religion just or is it just religion? It's a question that Jesus confronted people with often. In fact, many of the people who opposed Jesus... They were the most highly regarded religious people of his day. They were people who followed the same Jewish religion that Jesus did. But they didn't like the way he saw it, interpreted it, expressed it, or how he taught it. And in spite of their near-perfect execution of religious rules and doctrine, Jesus called those people out for how unjust their religion was. Because even though their practice of religion, just like Jesus's, was oriented around serving God, their practice of religion was done in cold, cruel, selfish, and even discriminatory ways. 
We've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 12. And at the end of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees about all this religious stuff has kind of come to a close. But there's one more thing that happens that helps us understand a core quality of good religion according to Jesus here in this final week of our Just Religion message series. And it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, on the surface, we look at this and, and I've read this verse bunches of times. And it seems like Jesus is making kind of a jerk move. I mean, his family is like, Jesus, we, we came to see your show and you're just going to leave us outside? I mean, we should have backstage passes, not be standing in line for general admission. And then to top it all off, Jesus is like, I mean, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I mean, all you guys, you guys are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Honestly, when you read this, it, it can sound like the kind of stuff you hear from cults, right? You know, you need to cut yourself off from your family because we are your new family and you need to be totally devoted to us, which means you can't be tied to them. It's cult stuff. But that's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Well, it's our main point today. It's this. Jesus saw the church as a family and so should his followers. Jesus wasn't disrespecting his real family when he made this statement as much as he was using it as an opportunity to define for people what it really meant to be part of God's kingdom. And it meant that your relationship to God and others takes on a whole different vibe. In the church of Jesus, we are to be more than just friends and acquaintances. We are to see ourselves as part of a family. And this thread of teaching, it started with Jesus, but it's continued and woven all throughout the rest of the New Testament and into the history of the church. I mean, look at how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You are members of God's family. Not a club, not an organization, an army, or a political movement. A family. So what does that mean? Well, that's where things get a little sticky and weird. Because family is weird. And, and all families are different with different priorities, different dynamics, and different ways of interacting with each other. Perfect example. Uh, when Cameron brought her boyfriend home to hang out with us for the first time at our house... Um, we had a great time, but then when they were finally alone, he turned to her and he was like, man, your family is so loud. And that's totally true. We talk loud. We watch TV loud. We play music loud. When my youngest kids play video games online, you will regularly hear them screaming and yelling at full volume as if someone is attacking them and stabbing them with a knife. I hardly even hear it anymore because it's just normal, because that's what family is like to us. It's loud, funny, regularly inappropriate. But some families are quiet. 
Some families are calm and reserved. There are all kinds of different families with different family dynamics. So what is God's family supposed to look like? Well, let's go back to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, you are members of God's family. And then he continues, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. See, we are being changed. We are being made. We are being built into something by God. Now, you've heard of nature versus nurture, right? A way to describe why some people are the way they are or a way to describe why people in a family are all alike. Why, you know, why are some families so cool or good looking or smart or successful in life? Is it in their DNA, meaning is it nature, or was it learned behavior that was passed down from generation to generation? Nurture. Well, Paul says it's nature. That when we join the family of God, that God begins doing something in us that's outside of our control. He begins shaping and changing our very nature. And part of that is joining us together with other followers of Jesus into his family, his temple, the place where he lives. Jesus saw the church as a family because that's what God is making us into by his power. So the church of Jesus should be shaped into a family that shares similar qualities and characteristics because God is changing us and he's making us like Jesus. He changes our nature. But if that's true, why is there still so much division in the church? If God's doing it, why does it seem like we're still broken? Why do people get mad and leave to go join a different church down the street? And why are there church leaders who do things that hurt people? Why are there so many disagreements over doctrine and style? I mean, honestly, why do we have to have a whole message series that we're in to determine if our brand of religion is good if God makes us a unified family by nature? Well, because being the family of God also requires effort on our part. It also requires nurture. Look at what Paul writes in Colossians 3. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We are members of one body, one family being formed and shaped by God. And that requires a way of being with each other that's different. It requires us to make allowance for each other's faults, to be patient and forgiving with each other, to pursue harmony and unity. It requires us to nurture our family relationships by putting the love of each other over everything else. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. A family does the hard work of staying together, of being restored in relationship and living in peace with each other. And the fact that 
Paul even had to say these things, assumes that there are going to be differences and disagreements within the church. But in the family of God, we are unified around the primary issues of following Jesus, and we don't let the secondary issues divide us. And can I quickly point out another thing that Paul says at the end of this passage? Let me read this to you again, 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's weird, right? And Paul gives these, talks about love and unity and relationships, and then he says, greet each other with a kiss. It's weird. But it's also kind of weird that we don't do this, right? I mean, this is such a clear and direct command from Scripture. It's unambiguous. Why don't we give each other big kisses every Sunday? Are we sinning by not greeting each other with a holy kiss? Now, we laugh at this, but this is exactly the kind of thing that's dividing and breaking up church families. The interpretation and practice of religion. See, in this passage, Paul laid out the core principles of faith in Jesus. Love, restoration, unity, peace. The primary fundamentals of what we must nurture in order to be a family. And then at the end of all of that, he tosses in and adds a religious practice for people to follow. Greet each other with a holy kiss. And for whatever reason, religious people forget the core principles and focus instead on the religious practice. We forget that at heart we're to be people who strive for restoration because it's so clear that we are supposed to be people who greet each other with a holy kiss. And you may think that this is a bad example because, I mean, literally no one in the church is saying that we should kiss each other, which is kind of the main problem. Unjust religion rejects the consistent application of love to embrace the inconsistent application of religious law. And it misses love because it's so focused on making sure that everyone greets with a holy kiss. And, and as long as we're doing that, we're good because real love is making sure people who don't greet with a holy kiss know that they're wrong and know that they're sinning, right? About a year ago, a handful of people left Compass over a holy kiss doctrinal issue. Now, this was a much more important thing, it was a bigger deal, but there was a difference in opinion on how Compass was going to practice our religion. And the people who left, I mean, they didn't just attend. I'm talking about people who'd been with Compass from the beginning, from day one, people who were some of our closest and dearest friends. Terry literally said one time that she thought one of these people would be at her deathbed because they were so close. These were people who we thought of as family, but they left over a religious issue that they felt very strongly about. And when they were gone, they were gone. That was it. I mean, it was like a bad breakup. And there are still some of those people who we haven't seen or heard from since. And after all of this happened, I remember coming into the auditorium of the church building and just crying out to God. And I was literally crying and just feeling sadness and anger and confusion. And I remember just yelling at God, asking him, is this what the church is? Just a bunch of people who can leave each other in a moment? And I was like, are, are, we, just, are we just work friends? You know, people who are only connected because we share a job? You know, people who 
who have the illusion of closeness because they work together every day, but, but honestly, as soon as they change jobs, they'll never see each other again and be fine with it. And I told God this, if, we're, if, the, if the church is work friends, if this is what the church is, I don't want it. And if this is what we're building, I don't want to do it anymore. We were really hurt by the breaking up of our church family. And I think we were hurt even more so by the realization that perhaps we weren't really building a family at all, but that maybe we were building a group of people who agreed on the same way to practice religion and people who liked consuming the same religious content. Which is why what Jesus said about family is both so inspiring and scary. Being part of a family that loves you and accepts you unconditionally sounds wonderful. But being in a position where you can be hurt so badly again is terrifying. And it reminds me of the advice that Cameron got about her internship. To avoid places that say they are like one big family. Because maybe it's better to just have shallow relationships with people in our church so that we can stay together and grow big than it is to have true, close relationships and risk being deeply hurt. But then we look to Jesus. Jesus saw the church as a family, one where God changes our very nature and one where we have a responsibility to nurture a culture of love, acceptance, restoration, forgiveness, unity. And what should that family look like exactly? I have no idea. Families are so different that I struggle to figure out how to manufacture it. I don't know how to make all of this into a system that, that a church organization can reproduce. All I know is that God has called us to be a family that prioritizes being unified in Jesus over being religious. Because just religion looks like family. So what does that mean for you? Are you a casual attender who doesn't really know anyone here? Are you a compass regular who has your own tight-knit little group of friends that no one else can really get into? Have you kept your church at an arm's length to keep from getting hurt again? Maybe you're a combination of those things. And, and I don't know exactly what kind of change this means for you. But I know God made the church to be a family. I know that family needs to be nurtured with love, patience, and perseverance. And I know God is working to put us together with a new nature of love and unity. And wherever you are in all this, God will show you what it means to be a family for you. And he'll show you what steps you need to take as you open yourself up and ask him how. My prayer for us, though, is that in spite of difference, in spite of disagreement, in spite of diversity, the compass would be a church family. That we would be a place that is bound together in love, in peace, and in unity. A place where we make allowance for each other's faults, where we hold fast together around Jesus. And we don't allow other things to break us up. And my prayer is that each of us will have the courage to do the things that will build and grow the dynamic of family in our church community. And I hope you'll start that today. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.